standards-based grading, I don't think motivates your high flyers. What I think it does is it helps raise the tide. That's today's guest, Wendy Barden, helping us understand what standards-based grading is and what it's not. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm Alan Fire here with Steve Shanley. Each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. Steve, tell us about our guest. Dr. Wendy Barden is currently the Director of Professional Development and Resource Programs at Perpich Center for Arts Education, the Minnesota state agency that supports arts educators across the state. With more than four decades of classroom and administrative experience, Dr. Barden is recognized as a nationwide expert in student engagement and standards-based grading in the fine arts. Find Wendy's full bio, show notes, and resources at www.musicatinsights.com. What was a high point for you in this interview, Alan? Letter grades by themselves provoke assumptions that might not be accurate, and I've never thought of it exactly like the way she'd explained it. What about you, Steve? All of it. Even after my usual care to edit this down to just the most pragmatic and useful stuff, it went a few minutes past our normal max length. But it's worth it. And even still, we weren't able to get to all the questions this topic provokes. So Wendy will come back in a few months for part two. Send us your questions for her return. For now, though, let's learn how and why we should get started with standards-based grading. Wendy Barden, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. This is my pleasure. Well, let's pretend that Alan, our listeners, and I don't know anything about standards-based grading. Pretend we're parents of children who are currently in a school that is about to implement standards-based grading, and we thought the traditional system of assessment and grading worked just fine for us. Thank you very much. Can you give us your sales pitch for one, what is standards-based grading, and two, why is it a good thing? Well, I would start first by saying, what do you know about grading? What are your assumptions about the grades that your children bring home on the report card? And I'm thinking that if one of my children, for instance, brought home a report card and they had an A in chemistry, I would think, wow, they're really good at chemistry. They're good at science. I wonder if that's something they would want to do more uh, pursue further, right? That I would assume that they had skills in that area what are the assumptions when a child brings home an A in choir or an A in band? That they're like first chair, that they're really great, that they sing in tune, that they, what are the assumptions? And I think all too often, we all have our own individual assumptions as to what a grade means. And so a grade means nothing. So I really like standards-based grading because it's based on standards. There is a standard that teachers go back to, and its purpose is to provide good information, solid information on what students know and are able to do and even perhaps where they could work more on, what areas are less proficient in, and they could spend their spend more time there. I think another piece that I really that really resonates with me about standards-based grading is that students do not get one chance to make a score, to take a test, that there's multiple chances built over time. And then the other big thing is that behavior or attendance, effort, responsibility, whatever else you want to call those types of behaviors are separated. 
They're not lost, but they're reported separately. So truly, when you get a grade, it is based on achievement in that course. So what's the difference between standards-based grading and maybe a system where I got the report card that said A in chemistry, and then under that, I also got, I went into power school or infinite campus or whatever, and I was able to see, oh, my daughter also got A's on her daily work, but she got C's on her quizzes and B's on her final exam or or her, her exams. What's the difference? Because I feel like still with that old system, especially with those, um, like Infinite Campus, you can get all of a lot of information about how they're doing on different parts of the class. I think a couple things. If there was a visual image here, I have my hand up, my fingers pointed up, and now I'm going to turn them to the side. And so it's taking that information and it's turning it and it's organizing it in a different way. So that idea that instead of accumulating or sorting assignments by type of assignment, like daily work, meaning you might be able to use your book. Maybe the test questions on the final aren't the same as what you were working on in the in the daily work. Instead of compartmentalizing it that way, what if it was compartmentalized by the standard itself? And when I talk about standards, I tend to talk about them as a bucket. So I look at it, maybe I take the 5,000 foot view and try and put a few of the standards that are related into a bucket. And then anything that works towards that knowledge and understanding or skill development goes in that bucket. And it's going to accumulate over time. But that means that also that I'm going to look at the end score and not the scores getting towards the end. So if I had quizzes that um, I had, I'll use numbers for right now, but that's not where we need to go. Um, But if it had like 60, and then I got a 70, and then I got an 80, and then I got a 90. So at the end, my highest was a 90. So that means that Oh, well, if you take an average, all those scores together, I get an 83 or something like that. In standards-based grading, if your end number was achievement at that higher level, whatever that 90 represented, that's your mark. That's where you're you're working towards. So it's the end learning. And you're not penalized by the fact that you didn't know it at first. And you only grew a little bit at the next one. And you only grew a little bit so that you're really looking at that output at the end. Do have students met that standard or not? And you have lots of opportunities to show what you know. So it's not just that one time thing either. Well, my devil's advocate question that I just asked and your answer leads perfectly into the next question I had for you, which is what are some common misconceptions of standards-based grading? Uh, Things you find teachers that might say they're using standards-based grading, but you're like, oh, you're, you're really not. What are some things that we might either as parents, as we're trying to understand it, or even as teachers trying to implement it, be getting wrong about it? And then we can dive into what it is and what it looks like. I think one of the biggest, uh, most common pieces when a district is trying to implement standards-based grading, just knowing right off the bat, they're retrofitting their system. They're wanting to use standards-based grading, but in order to make it work, they have to retrofit what they've been doing in grading for decades, probably. And when you do that, you make decisions based on what you think you can change and what you can't and the structures that are in place. And one of the pieces that really kind of drives that is 
the report card, the ABCD, that's generally what education has used for, for generations, really. And that's seemingly what parents understand, even though we don't really know what's wrapped up in those grades. But that's the common framework. Would that be like, I currently do not use standards-based grading, but my district is forcing me to do this and I'm going to play along. And before, I would give a, a C for tone quality for their grade, and now I just give it a 2. Like it's limited mastery, boom, I'm done, it's standards-based grading. You're saying mm -hmm. that approach is maybe not quite what we want to do. Correct. Correct. Really, standards-based grading is having levels of achievement, absolutely, but we're really looking at what is meets standard. And then even in tone quality, there is a description there of what that meets is, what you're, what you're going for. And if you're not quite there, then you maybe partially meet, right? If you have some of the pieces in place, you partially meet. Maybe it's the case of a brand new skill and the student does not yet meet. Does not yet meet is... I think stated pretty positively, because that's really believes that you're going to get there, right? But partially meets has a different connotation than meets. And then oftentimes districts also use something in the neighborhood of exceeds standards. Districts have different labels. Generally, it's a four level system. And that does not equate to an A, um, B, C, D. We go for the meet, which is like second to the highest, but it, it's not about getting to the highest. It's about meeting the standard and then moving on and working on something else. So when we mix letters with words, with labels, and then we also mix in 100%, 90%, 80%, whatever, all of those, those are three systems that don't, they're not, they don't have a, if you're here, go there. And I would say, honestly, that's one of the harder things to communicate to students and to colleagues and to families, that you aren't going for exceeds standard, which equates to the A. So for pushing for meets and not exceeds, mm -hmm. uh, isn't that a demotivator for somebody who wants to be the highest achiever possible? One of my favorite examples of that meet standard where that is in real life is your driver's license. And I just remember when I took my driver's test, you could meet standard at 70. And would I rather be riding a, in a car with somebody who got a 90 on their driver's test? Probably. But society deemed or the Department of Motor Vehicles deemed that at 70, you had the skills that you needed in order to be legally able to operate a motor vehicle. I don't see this system as an extrinsic motivator at all. It isn't. Standards-based grading, I don't think, motivates your high flyers. What I think it does is it helps raise the tide so that students who haven't done well in the old system have a chance, have a chance to succeed, that they're not going to be you know, pushed under by the fact that they can't do it right away or that it takes multiple times. And I think what I, I heard uh, embedded in what you just said is that while it may not motivate high flyers, it will motivate and engage students who might have been disengaged in a in a scenario where they were looking at being a C student. Is right. that is that fair to say? I say that's very fair to say. And we know there are students in our music classes that are our C students, right? And 
our bands, choirs, and orchestras need their contributions as well. I would also say that I don't think standards-based grading was created necessarily for the arts, that there are a lot of other subject areas in school where students can get discouraged really fast. And my personal, so this is opinion, is that if a student decides in ninth grade or 10th grade that they're not a good math student and they're not even going to try, we need our students to graduate from high school with skills that can take them on to the next post-secondary opportunity. And this standards-based grading system gives them more information about what they do well, in addition to what they need to continue to work on. But it also opens the door to help them have those opportunities to do better and to learn more. Well, I want to get into some of the details about what this will look like at different grade levels and maybe different classroom settings. But before we do that, I feel something like this can require teachers to think very differently and to approach things in a brand new way, which is often scary and just easier to ignore or to not do it. Uh, so what are some first steps that you suggest we take that maybe will keep us from getting too overwhelmed with this, with this big paradigm shift? I think there are a couple of things that people can do right away. And one of them is to start organizing grade books differently. If you can organize your grade book by reporting area or by standard, that so that a teacher can look at everything in that one area a little bit over time, but that you're looking at achievement in given skills together, rather than just a, a running chronology of assignments and, and these are scores that are all mixed together, just even organizing a grade book will help start to think about that. Another thing is to make sure that behavior is separated out. It's not lost, it is important, but it's not if a student acts like a real pill in class, but by golly, when they have to play their etude, it's flawless. The standard is playing that etude. It's not the behaviors that are bugging you or pushing your buttons. So comment on that in another spot, but do acknowledge that the student can do the work and is able to produce that. So that's another thing is, is just to separate that out, keep track of it, but separate it. And then I think the third thing that I would really think about is what kind of feedback are you able to give students or what's the framework that you can set up for students reflecting on their own work? So I think a really good first step is to develop either on your own or maybe with the help of some of students, that idea of here's a rubric. When we do a playing assignment or when I'm going to listen to a performance assessment, these are possible elements that I'm going to look for. And this is what a meet standard sounds like or looks like. This is what a partially meets. So that there's this rubric that is universal. I'll say universal with air quotes, but that idea that you're always looking at, that's what a good performance is. Then my next idea is, can students reflect on that? They're just playing an assignment. Can they think about how they did? And key in standards-based grading is that students get feedback to be able to improve their performance so that then when they do it again, that their chances are of raising that score if they're not already at meets standard. 
So let's dive in now to uh, some more specifics. And if we could start with how standards-based grading would look similar across different grade levels and disciplines, something that uh, would apply to both a first grade general music classroom and a high school band. And then if it makes sense to do that first and then the differences, uh, mm -hmm. great. If it's easier for you to kind of mix all of that into this answer together, I wanted to give you that opportunity too. I think the general music class, the elementary general music class, is our chance to be closest to standards-based grading, our profession being closest to standards-based grading without much change. So when I say that, that there are often on an elementary re report card, there is the ability to write maybe three or four standards or learning targets, uh, hopefully bigger or overarching ones that are not so specific, and that a teacher will give information, provide information on each one of those. That gives families an opportunity to understand what their child is strong in and what their child maybe can continue to work on honestly. Uh, that way, when a child maybe comes home with not the top mark, that they're not going to say, I can't sing. I hate music. I'm never going to do that again. I quit as a second grader. I mean, we hear stories about that all the time that second graders decide that they can't sing. And so they're not going to sing period. And while they might singing might not be their strongest, they might be at right at the meet standard plus for playing an instrument or for doing some other things. And so I think that has to show through. Number two is how the data is collected. In an elementary classroom, it's often an obtrusive assessment, right? They're singing a song, the teacher has their seating chart out, they're moving to, with a steady beat, they're patting with a steady beat, they're playing an orf, orchestration, and the teacher's observing. And they're making marks on their seating chart, what's working and what's not. And if if everybody in the class is successful, then we're done, right? Everybody meets standard. If, if there are a handful of children that don't have a steady beat, then we know that steady beat's going to come back the next week. And it might be in a different song. It might be doing it in a different way, but it's going to come back so that students have multiple opportunities to continue to work on that. Let's talk a little bit about how it might look different in a large group versus a small group or an individual lesson setting. And at one point earlier, you mentioned that you feel this approach to grading and reporting assessment to students and their families is very well suited for for elementary teaching. And I've noticed that as well. So what is a high school teacher to do? <laughs> Ideally, in a standards-based system, we know that most high school or most secondary report cards don't sort it out by reporting standard. So when a student gets a transcript, it's one mark on their report card. So everything gets lumped in and averaged out. And we then that's how we start making assumptions as well. Um, but even with that in a band or an orchestra or a choir or jazz band or whatever kind of an ensemble, we sometimes don't, sometimes we focus on that on the ensemble performance, which, yes, of course, it's an ensemble class. It's everybody in making music together. Um, but sometimes we focus on that and we don't get enough individual data so that we really can't even give a strong mark on what that individual is doing either way, no matter what grading system you use. So I think the first piece that's 
that needs to be thought about really carefully is, is what kind of individual feedback does a student get on their performance? And what, what does your system allow for that, right? Are there, is there a lesson program? Um, do you, do you record less, do kids record lessons and send them in? What does that look like so that you get some individual data on students? And then how can you give them feedback so that that can improve? Not just general feedback, like, um, you know, about breathing or something like that. It's you, student A, this is what will help improve your performance. So no matter what system you use that, I think that's a key piece. And then also, making sure that students have the opportunity to use that feedback and and do it again because feedback ends up on the floor if there's not an opportunity to use it and, and improve your, your grade. I just had an idea and maybe you were headed this direction, but I was thinking about the fact that in a lot of ways for decades now, this idea of being in front of a large choir band or orchestra and trying to figure out individually what students can do and not do that's not really different. We've always been doing that. But the difference was in, say, 1986, it was probably perfectly okay for me, maybe not perfectly okay, but commonplace for me to, as a choir director, stand in front of the group. Yeah, they all sounded pretty good. Everybody pretty much showed up. No one was a pain. Everybody gets an A. And now yes. standards-based grading doesn't allow you that option. You know, you are, you have to give which standards you're going to be assessing and, and how the individual students are meeting them. So right. now the challenge for those programs that don't have the resources for private lessons or small group lessons outside of the big rehearsal, this is a huge argument you can make. I feel like music teachers everywhere at the secondary performance ensemble setting should be arguing, we want standards-based grading because it's great. And then they can use that as an argument to get more help uh, and staffing to be able to assess the students on that individual level because you just simply can't do it in a large group. Right, right. An assessment like twice in a marking period isn't enough to move the needle, is it? No. Especially if if students are going to, on an assessment, get some feedback and then work on it and then have another opportunity to show you what they know. There has to be more regularity and more support, I think, for that. The flip side, I've seen really successful people make use of phones and digital recorders and that in a choir setting in particular, in particular, not so much instrumental, but, but I've seen a, a, in a choir setting, high school choir, where a teacher, they sing uh, measure eight to 25 or something like that. And everybody sings into their phone at the same time so that you can get a good recording of the student, but, but they have the support of everybody behind them. So, I mean, that's the other piece too, is you're in choir, you're making music as a group. It's really hard to, it's not exactly the same when you isolate out an individual performance. Yeah. Or then, I'm the, I'm the trumpet player and I, I can, I can hit the high C when I'm in the whole band. I promise. There you go. There you go. <laughs> like that. But, but then, so the teacher recorded, everybody recorded. She taught that same piece, uh, that same piece, that same section eight to 25. They recorded it again. She taught it again, gave feedback, helped improve the performance. They, they recorded it again. Then she challenged her singers to choose the best. Each one of them had a best performance out of the three, which one was their strongest performance. And she had them submit that to her. So she used it as a teaching, a reflecting. Uh, here's the rubric. 
how did you score? Which one is your best based on that criteria? So that was very effective. But then she had to listen to them all too. And so there, I mean, if you're teaching most every hour of the day, you don't want to take that home and be listening to it, you know, at night or staying late just to listen to assessments so you can get feedback to students. And I, I know, you know, other teachers take work home as well. That's, that's not my issue, but just, you have to make it manageable. Otherwise it gets to a point where you just, it just, you know, goes by the wayside and it's not very useful either. And so. so in theory, I've got a student who can meet all the standards, can play the band music perfectly, beautiful sound, every, but is either late to or misses every class and skips every concert. I still got to give them the got to give them the four or whatever on all of those if that's really truly where they're playing and then assess the tardiness and the not attending the concerts completely separate. Unless the curriculum is we're trying to teach kids to show up for concerts. Right. There are a couple national standards, I think, in middle level that talk about concert etiquette, which you can't show that unless you're in a performance setting. So you do have that. But as far as being able to play your part in the band and being able to play it um, with others and the accuracy piece, it doesn't say anything about uh, doing it in a public performance, let's say. So there has to be another way to encourage that, right? Or to document that or to um, give credit for that. So that's where, can you add another one? Can you add a separate one about your contribution to the group? And if you're not there, you're not contributing to the group. So, I mean, there, I think there are some ways to support it. Um, if your school district allows you to add to the standards that the set of standards that you're also using from the state or national. Well, let's shift to 2019 versus today. I feel like students and teachers are different now than they were prior to the pandemic. And I'm curious if you have suggestions for us involving student engagement and other expertise of yours that you might not have given, for example, in 2019. In thinking about these two topics together, standards-based grading and, and student engagement, one thing that I hear now is that students aren't so engaged. So I think one piece with this is that standards-based grading gives a student every reason to keep working. That if they didn't get it today, the door's wide open for tomorrow that that effort and feedback will pay off, can pay off, and that extrinsic motivation, which research talks about as could be really great for the moment that we're using it, but in the long run, it really works against us, that we need to build that intrinsic motivation and that growth mindset. And I think standards-based grading supports that. I think it also puts more importance on students talking about their work and reflecting on their work, which we know that we had a lot more opportunity to talk about music and music achievement when we couldn't play music together, when we couldn't do an ensemble rehearsal, right? A virtual one. And so, you know, hopefully there has been some more practice on 
talking about and reflecting on work that also is a bigger piece of this than maybe what we acknowledged before. And then I wonder also about student choice. And when we're listening, when we want students to show us what they, that skill, if they're working on tone quality, does it have to be on the concert music? Could it be something else that they bring in that shows us that they are really moving forward in being able to produce the characteristic tone that we're looking for, or that the ensemble needs? And so what could it be out in music of their choice? Are there some ways that we can bring choice in more now than we would have even offered or thought of pre-pandemic? And there's no reason why it has to be one way or the other, but maybe choice could play a bigger piece of that. So we've basically just scratched the surface today. I'd like you to uh, maybe close this portion of the of the interview down by maybe telling us where we would go next. Are there any of your own services or resources you have that you want to share with our listeners or where do they go next to uh, learn more about standards-based grading and implementing it into their programs? I've done a lot of work with the Neil H. Host Music Company, and I have a series of small, really small books called the Maximizing Student Performance Series. And they're just little short 40 or 50 page books on assessment or reflection on student journaling, those kinds of things that years and years ago, I didn't think of that connecting to standards-based grading. That was work that has been important for me really for decades. And yet it really does support that process. So I think there's a, there's a lot of things that if you happen to take a look at something that I've authored, I would hope that you would find a few things in there that support that journey towards standards-based grading and support your students in, in that um, area. Spark some ideas and and such, but oh golly, I would love to have a conversation. I mean, there's nothing more fun than talking about curriculum and, and kids and, and working to help kids uh, meet goals. And so... Um, I'd be up for a conversation anytime or an email anytime. I'd love to con- converse with anybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was appreciative how quickly uh, you responded to my inquiry to come on this program. Very much encourage our listeners, if if Wendy is in your neck of the woods talking about this or anything, very much encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. So thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today on these important topics. Can we close down with a lightning round on some uh, lighter topics? <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> okay. I'd love that. What's the best dining establishment in the Twin Cities? A restaurant I went to recently is called Awamni, and that is by the Sioux Chef, S-I-O-U-X. So Native American cuisine, if you will, and amazing, amazing food. What is a musical artist or piece of music that you wish more people knew about? I like listening to Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas. And they do fiddling. One's a cellist and one is a violinist. Do you have a book recommendation for our listeners? One of the more recent books I've read is Upbeat Upbeat by Matthew Arau. And it's student leadership, mindfulness, mindset, good, lots of thinking. And how about a favorite film or TV series that you've been enjoying recently? Well, I'm very partial to the great British baking show. <laughs> 
That's a good one. And finally, <laughs> if, if you weren't a teacher, what career do you think you might have had? Oh, boy. I think I would be partial to accounting. Wendy Barta, thank you so much for spending this time with us. You do important work, uh, and you're a great voice for this, and it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to have you today. The pleasure's all mine, so thank you. You've been listening to Music Ed Insight. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter at Music get insights our website is also the place to find program notes links and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways that's www.musicedinsights.com this podcast is sponsored and supported by normal design winterset websites group dynamic and the co-college music education program learn more about them at our website and let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list new episodes drop every two weeks on monday mornings get current stay relevant music ed insights